Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Greetings, comrades. Well, as as usual by now, I suppose, this episode was originally intended to be about something completely different. And we'll get back to that subject, because I have a script for it, and it's about how the Soviet uh, security services oppressed and controlled religion in the USSR. But today, today, I kind of want to go back to the political episodes, because something strange and huge has happened in Russia lately. You see, uh, there is an app, and yeah, I'll be talking about an app here. There is an app called Telegram, which is the most popular messenger in Russia. It's a phone app with um, kind of end-to-end ciphers, which means that even the creators of the app cannot have any decryption keys, so everything's like totally secret and totally anonymous. Uh, So your messages can't be read by by the FSB. For obvious reasons, this app is extremely popular in Russia, and recently, as you might have heard, the uh, the FSB demanded from the app's creator, Pavel Durov, the uh, sort of decryption keys so that they could read it. Uh, again, it's all done in the name of fighting terrorism. Well, obviously, yes, terrorists also use this app. There's no denying of it, because terrorists like anonymous forms of communication, However, terrorists, well, will exist even when this app does not. And this app is primarily used in Russia by, you know, uh, Putin's political opponents. I'll just put it that way. So, Pavel Durov, the creator of this app, just decided to to just kind of make fun of all the things and he knew that he was going to get blocked anyway. So, he sent in to the Roskomnadzor, which is the Russia's... uh, Russia's internet uh, guardian things, basically uh, communications observation bureau. In short, in Ros- Roskomnadzor, or lately Roskompazor, as it's called, or, you know, uh, replacing the last abbreviation with Pazor, which means shame. Essentially, those guys uh, asked Durov of his description key, these decryption keys, and Durov instead, instead sent them to physical, uh, like, mailbox keys or something. I, I guess so that they were um, 
they were mailbox keys, but you know, two old looking, you know, very classical uh, keys. So what happened next was a, a show trial, obviously, in which Mr. Pavel Turov, the owner of Telegram, basically chose and ordered his lawyers not to attend as to not participate and not to legitimize all this um, farce, as he called it. Then, then obviously, uh, then obviously Roskomnadzor blocked, uh, started blocking Telegram and, you know, asked Google and Apple Store to ban this program from appearing on Russian markets and started blocking its, its work through various IP bans. Uh, obviously, everyone uses VPNs, but and, and there's a lot of problems with it, and Telegram is still working even throughout all this situation. But there are things that make me a bit doubtful. That'll be number one story. Number two story is going to be Armenia, but but yeah. I want to start this by reading you on uh, some parts from articles from uh, Reuters, because, you know, that's uh, a news agency here. How do the Western people summarize all this up, and then I'll add some comments of my own. So, uh, this is uh, from Reuters. Russia's Roskomnadzor began blocking Telegram, a message service popular in Russia, on Monday, after it refused to comply with a court order to grant state security services access to its users' encrypted messages. Roskomnadzor's head, Alexander Zharov, said it had blocked 18 subnetworks and a significant number of IP addresses belonging to Google and Amazon, the Interfax News Agency reported. The Interfax being, uh, well, just check, check out my episode number 21, then you'll know all about Interfax. And, um, uh, Zharov was quoted as saying, quote, <clears throat> We have currently informed both companies that a significant number of IP ad- addresses located in the clouds of these two services have fallen under the block on the basis of cor- the court ruling to block Telegram. But here's a problem. Here's a problem here, because, um, see, blocking these IP addresses has prevented a lot of Russians from accessing Google and Amazon and Kontakte, and LinkedIn, and many Russian sites. And like I mentioned in the previous episode, when this whole block thing had just started, they blocked my uh, my socialist site, which held full biography of Stalin, which I use, you know, full biography of Stalin according to socialist perspectives, but still, that's the source. Secondly, uh, secondly they had managed to block themselves uh, for a bit, then they had managed to unblock the sites of Gary Kasparov, which is a Russian opposition leader now living in the United States of America and ex-mega chess player. Uh, yeah, and they also unblocked some ISIS sites. And you thought, you know, uh, everyone thought here that um, this would be it, that this would be, you know, uh, Roskomnadzor's crazy actions, because, you know, uh, they, they have been blocking IPs for a ton. And Telegram just keeps on working, by the way. So... Uh, at one point, it turns out that I got a message saying that my own site apparently has, you know, some, some troubles launching from Russia. Then, you know, I thought, hey, business as usual, this sometimes happens. Then yesterday, and why am I recording this episode tomorrow morning, like, why am I recording this episode today in the morning, is that it turns out that a lot of people in Russia cannot access Google. Yeah, they, they get thrown into Yandex. Which also, by the way, has lately um, been suffering too, because any search engines in Russia are just getting cut off completely. And secondly, YouTube is extremely slow in Russia. Meanwhile, Telegram just, you know, uh, it has lost some clients, but it still works through VPN or sometimes even without it. You know, Telegram has inner 
uh, inner workings that prevent such such blocking from happening. So they're they're fully secured. But then, uh, then I read on some interesting articles from the Russian internet, which paint this whole blocking in a very different light. You see, uh, I mentioned this, like I said in previous episode, when I was shocked that you know one of my sources is gone. But um, but if you think about it, if you really think about it, then yeah, here I want to read you some some excerpts from Russian opposition articles in. Um, in this case, from Anti Colorado's site, uh, which is Ukrainian site, uh, but they, they they dig deep sometimes, and also from Medusa and uh, other uh, like New Rush Word too, and you know other uh, Russian news sites here, because this is kind of suspicious here. For starters, uh, we all know that Russia had a project about you know their own, uh, as people called it, Cheburnet, which comes from Cheburashka, which is a kind of a Soviet uh, cartoon hero, but they had ideas of doing something like China did, uh, having their own private internal internet, because uh, Putin's government does not like open communications, they do not like internet, they do not like when people have access to information, which is terrible. But, you know, they had no way of doing that because everyone mocked them for it, just as everyone is mocking Roskomnadzor now. And, you know, um, I like Telegram as such. It's it's a good product. Uh, I, I have recently picked it up. And everyone in Russia, like most people in Russian opposition, are just saying that Pavel Durov might be the next Navalny. He might now, through his actions as the leader of this Telegram development, whom they call the only significant, you know, tech industry in Russia, this whole Telegram thing, that he might become a new leader of the opposition, that he might do something with uh, with his newfound like influence in the opposition circles uh, for example you know uh, telegram ceo pavel durov and this is again from reuters called on tuesday for quote digital resistance saying he was prepared to give out millions of dollars worth of grants in bitcoin digital currency to individuals and companies that run proxies and vpns to support internet freedom Writing on his own Telegram channel, Durov said there had not been a significant drop in users of the service in Russia since the ban took effect because users were using VPNs and proxies to access the messenger. He also thanked Apple, Google, Amazon and Microsoft for, quote, not taking part in political censorship. And uh, the following is how Reuters described Durov. Durov, a pioneer of social media in Russia, left the country in 2014 and has become a vocal critic of the Kremlin's policies of internet freedom. Well... Yeah, he has. Who is this Mr. Durov himself? And, uh, you know, uh, the more Roskomnadzor starts failing, because they've literally blocked out everything and messed up the workings of everything and an immense amount of Russian internet businesses uh, have, like, gone into huge trouble. You know, uh, we spoke about Russia's economical situation recently, like in February, I suppose, where I said that they have issues, and then turns out in my interview with um, with previously Neuro podcast, uh, the guy, uh, Cyan, Kieran, Kieran, yeah, that's his uh, proper pronunciation of his name, Kieran, uh, the host of that show, told me that he knows a lot of Russian freelancers who work through the internet for, uh, you know, uh, Russian companies. So, what happens is that Russian programmers, they live in Russia, and then they work for the United States or European companies, and then they get, you know, very average for European standards uh, salaries, but for that they can live very comfortably in Russia. 
which is okay. Now they're all been very much hurt and hit as well. And then you start thinking, wait a minute, if they wanted to block Telegram, but they've literally blocked everything else, then uh, was this really about Telegram? And then someone, then someone started posting out these things, and I googled and I checked them about Mr. Pavel Durov himself, so that, you know, he might seem as the biggest as the biggest uh, supporter of internet freedom and social justice on the internet and and like uh, like good things and, and freedom of speech but he might not be and the trick here is that um Mr. Pavel Durov is not a programmer himself he's a businessman his brother turns out did all the programming for this telegram while Mr. Durov himself is actually a diplomat Yes, Pavel Durov has an education as a diplomat in the Soviet era. Then he also finished the Moscow Institute of Intelligence. So, when you think about it, sure, he's a businessman, sure, he's done a lot of good things, but it's getting a bit suspicious because um, he made this business in Russia, and it's, again, highly suspicious that why did he even make this business in Russia, and why was it allowed to run... Uh, which is one of the complaints here. Why the hell would the Russian security authorities, the FSB and other pro-Putin elements, even allow such a free messenger to grow? They could have cut him off at any point. Secondly, why, you know, why a man who has obviously gotten an intelligence and security and, you know, special special operations training, so to speak, because in a psychological way, obviously, I mean, he he has received a KGB agent training. Now he's a successful businessman, and, you know, he finished a school in St. Petersburg. And yes, he has left the, the Russian Federation, but he might still have ties, he might still have ties there. And secondly, it all looks like you know, uh, just because of this blocking of Telegram, for one, that makes Durov look like the mighty hero of freedom of speech, and secondly, Roskomnadzor just starts to actually do what they wanted to do, even before Putin's election, and actually cut off Russia from the world's internet, except in a way that nobody notices. You know, in a, in a deceitful way, uh, by deception and by by tricking people into, you know, saying that, oh, no, no, this is just a fight against terrorism and we're just blocking Telegram. And they've, they, are, they have supposedly made mistakes out there. However, however, these mistakes are looking more and more suspicious by the day because even Kontakte and Yandex and like other uh, social networks in Russia have ceased that operation mainly. Well, they, they have a lot of troubles. So what's going on here? See, uh... If Mr. Pavel Durov would be a programmer, and if he wouldn't benefit immensely from all the opposition circles, then, then I would state that this is, you know, this might be actually pure and nice, but my cynical self just kind of claims in my head that this just might be an operation to cut Navalny down from the leader of the opposition, formally, even though Mr. Navalny isn't a very nice person himself, and is a bit... Uh, it's a bit crazy, and it's another discussion, but Mr. Pavel Durov benefits immensely. Uh, Roskomnadzor benefits, Putin benefits. Who loses are the, uh, the average folk, the common people. They will not enjoy this, and uh, 
they might actually lose access and i know that there will be a lot of there there will be russian listeners who for example will no longer be able to listen to this show another thing that kind of puts uh, a lot of suspicions on this whole durov thing and what russia is doing right now is actually in armenia yerevan and yeah, before I get into this too far, and this might sound like crazy conspiracies, but if you think about it, it's Rush we're speaking about. They poison Skripal, they have done many crazy conspiracy theory things in the past, so even though some of these things might just be theories, they're very actually likely to be true, because, you know, it's Rush we're speaking about. So what happened in Armenia? For starters, their old president, Serge Sarkasyan, uh, he wanted, He had been ruling for 10 years, and he was a very pro-Putin president. He uh, basically refused to refused to sign the European Association Agreement, which would put Armenia closer to the European Union. And then, you know, as his term was running out, then he decided to change the government of Armenia itself from a presidential republic to a parliamentary one. And the street protests started to be, uh, like, raging in mass after he uh, managed to get himself elected to the post of prime minister. Basically, which would allow him to keep power for, you know, five more years. Thus avoiding his term limitations. Uh, so, the opposition leader, Nikol Pashinyan, basically called for a new kind of Barhatne uh, Revolutsiya, as he called it. And... Uh, Basically, uh, he took people out in the streets and in Yerevan and all around Armenia, like, a bunch of people were protesting on the streets, they were blocking transportation, they were blocking metro stations from working, they were essentially paralyzing all the work in Armenia's capital and also around the country. Because, you know, once they started going in Yerevan, uh, they were joined by protesters all over the country. But, you see, uh, they kind of won. And I'm really happy about this because it's the people's victory. However, however, you know, they won in the sense that Serge Sarkasian, even though he had went on television just two days before and officially had an 87% approval rating or something of that sort, you know, one of these insanely high, obviously faked ones, uh, yeah, uh, Serge Sarkasian stepped down stating that he was wrong and the opposition leaders were right. However, a lot of people take this as a sign of victory and a lot of people were also looking at what would Russia's reaction to all this be. Because, you know, we know what happened to Ukraine after they had, uh, they had their own, they had their own little revolution in 2014. And there is an army, uh, you know, a Russian army base in Armenia, and Armenia is in a semi-armed conflict with Azerbaijan all this while. They've been uh, on and off with this uh, since, you know, since the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, the zone of conflict is called Nagorno-Karabakh, which is the mountain Karabakh region, which is in, um, Basically, uh, it's de facto independent state, which is dependent on 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 Armenia. But you know they they have been having conflicts with uh, with with Azerbaijan about this because Azerbaijan claims it's their own territory. But yeah, this mountainous region, which is an you know unrecognized state and self-proclaimed state, but it's de facto under Armenian control and all that stuff. It, it's very weird. Okay, but I never waited what was Russia doing about the situation, but Russia just said, uh, you know, after a long, long pause, their uh, press secretary of the state declared that, oh, no, 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 Russia does not get itself involved in foreign governments, which is uh, a bit crazy, knowing that, you know, they totally do, 
and everyone was expecting that. But uh, it seems that even here, things might look weirdly. And uh, the following comes from the Washington Post. Quote, <clears throat> Russia, which for more than a week has been an ever-present factor in a background as Armenian protesters thronged in the streets, is starting to define its role here. Moscow has watched as the peaceful revolt to its south unfolded, first with studied silence, then caution, and now perhaps with careful engagement. Early Thursday, two Armenian officials, including its foreign minister, jetted to Moscow for meetings with Russian officials. The Interfax news agency... Again, Interfax, our good old friends in Interfax... The news agency reported, the internal political crisis in Armenia and Russian-Armenian allied relations will dominate the agenda. Their visit comes a day after Armenia's charismatic opposition leader Nikol Pashinyan, who is jostling to become prime minister in a fresh parliamentary vote May 1, told huge crowds of demonstrators that during a meeting at the Russian embassy he, quote, got reassurance that Russia would not intervene in Armenia's internal affairs. The speaker of the parliament announced Thursday that the legislator would elect a new prime minister on Tuesday. See, uh, this is kind of crazy. They had a bunch of protests. They had a lot of action here. But unlike unlike the so-called color revolution, which previously happened in Georgia and Ukraine, which Russia, like, really opposed and fought against, the uprising here has been just muted. There is no response from the Kremlin. The protests, however, have not been overtly, like, any in any way anti-Russian, even though Armenia, as uh, most people here know, is essentially, you know, a just, just like Belarus, a very pro-Russian uh, government, at least it has been so far. Uh, they have been dominated, basically, by uh, politicians who were put there by Russian oligarchs in Putin's, Putin's government. It's a, essentially kind of a vassal state. If you play EU4 and stuff like that, it's a satellite. And they're trying to break out, well, technically, or so everyone thinks. But yeah, Moscow's presence uh, and the significant clout in this uh, Armenian country, it's its kind of, it's, it's there. It's ever present. And this previous premier, Serge Sargsyan, he was overtly pro-Russian in literally everything. And right now, right now, he was uh, just, you know, uh, as, as a temporary measure before they hold these elections, he was replaced with, um, <clears throat> quote, former Gazprom executive Karen Karapatyan, who, by the way, has a nickname, Karen of Gas, in Armenian, because he has worked in Gazprom, which is a Russian state-owned business, and, you know, the major gas exporter throughout the world. Yeah... Totally, you know, not just uh, shifting away things. I think, I think personally, I think personally that all this movement is just, uh, you know, they're trying to calm down the mob and the people by just, you know, shifting around things. And we will have to see how honest the elections in May 1 will go. But yeah, this, this, <clears throat> this protest movement, <laughs> this protest movement characterized uh, both, both Sargassian and Karapetian as being extremely corrupt members of a ruling elite, who are obviously, just like in, in Putin's controlled Russia, you know, completely out of touch with their people. And it's a bit crazy. But still, due to the insane, insane things and the ties that they have with Russia, so that this Pashinyan's revolution, so that it would succeed, they can't ignore Russia. And uh, 
President Vladimir Putin, again quoting here, <clears throat> President Vladimir Putin made this clear Thursday when he stressed in a phone call to Karapetyan that next week's election, which Pashinyan is expected to win, must be carried out in legal matter. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So the recent events are that uh, Roskomnadzor are blocking the whole thing with the Telegram, which benefits the Telegram owner because he's gained massive popularity and not lost that many clients. In fact, he's become more popular, especially outside of Russia. As only a utter minority of Telegram users are there. And then, secondly, we have a supposed people's revolution in Armenia, which has chosen to go the peaceful route by, you know, becoming more democratic. However, they still want to keep their ties with Russia. However, with the conversations that I've been having lately with Armenians, it doesn't really seem possible because a lot of them... You know, for example, are confused why uh, why their votes in the United Nations, you know, why their government always votes as Russia does, and uh, why they have to help out Russia in Syria and stuff like that. So they're not very pro-Russian themselves, which means that in a very open open referendum, in an open uh, open vote, the pro-Russian party might actually lose. But this Parshan, this uh, opposition leader, he's publicly stated that Russia and Armenia will always be friends. So, you know, uh, he has basically, as it looks right now, and before the May elections, he has sort of promised his loyalty to Putin as to not change the, Armenia's, the Armenian dependency on Russia. But he himself might profit of this. So I really, really hope that this one actually successful people's revolution where people went to the streets and bloodlessly overthrew their government and that happened here in our post-soviet sphere i really wish the people to win i don't care about uh you know their 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 political internal struggles i care about the people winning and people getting across and you know whomever wins at the end fine but let the people have an honest vote that's that's the good news the bad news is that uh what we're seeing here sadly might just be the shifting of one dictator for another it just might be kind of a new phase in uh, kremlin's foreign policy efforts a new phase on how they run business we can see here the the kind of the it's it, it's indirect and it's all on theory level but 
kind of the new methods of, of how the FSB might be working here. Because throughout this deception, um, you know, if, if Armenian Revolution, which has happened utterly peacefully, like previously mentioned, will go through nicely, and in May the, the opposition leader shall win, and then proclaim his loyalty to Moscow, well, loyalty, he'll just say, oh, we will be eternal friends again, stuff like that. Yeah, of course, we shall stay in Euro-Asian bloc, or, you know, any super positive things to reassure Russia, then Mr. Vladimir Putin shall present it as, um, as a complete victory once again. As a complete crazy victory on its own, you know, how, how Russia has managed to stabilize the region and bring the world closer to security, and, you know, the usual stuff. And at the same time, one of the more interesting things that's been going on here, and why, why he needs another victory after his election, is that uh, the ties with China between Russia are sort of breaking down, because, you know, uh, I've been speaking about previously on this show how the Chinese buy lands in the Far East, and, you know, now they've brought their military te technology in there, you know. Uh, the local guys, local factory owners, and, you know, the, the Chinese farm farm owners and landowners, they have, uh, they have apparently asked for increased security. So, uh, so China just brought in a bunch of, uh, bunch of tanks and rockets and all sorts of things in the pretenses of uh, <clears throat> armed, uh, you know, uh, armed security, which is pointless because a security company does not need tanks and everything. Secondly, uh, there have been major visits from major officials to Japan, and like I mentioned before, those visits to Japan continue, and I, this is this is previous politics episodes, I hope you haven't missed those. And these visits to Japan continue, and um, even though we have, we have no idea what's going on there behind doors, the chance of uh, Russia actually trading Kuril Islands for, you know, an influx of cash and investment to gain something out of it looks more and more realistic. And if this would be true, if they have some problems with China, if they have some problems with China and if their Japanese deal with Kuril Islands go through, then another... Uh, Another sort of deception is needed, another victory is needed, you know, to, to pull off the attention from all this situation. And the blocking of Telegram, yeah, that just might be there to cut off Russia from the world internet as we know it. What does this mean for all of us? Well, nothing much really, but uh, it's interesting how, how a government can uh, actually try to cut off its people from any news sources or information and then pretend that it's for the, you know... Per for <laughs> For the use of protecting the people from terrorists, and you know one of the one of the guys that I listened to, Dmitry Potapenko, again one of these more respectable economical uh, figures here, stated that what if the terrorists suddenly start you know operating by pigeon mail by carrier pigeons, would you ban them too? Because terrorism is way older than Telegram, so you know now you have to block Telegram, which is the main way because it's not only a messaging channel you can like put up a short short-form blog on there in a form of Telegram channel, and run that one too. Interesting times. Interesting times, comrades. 
However, following the famous Heinlein's rule to never attribute to malice what could be explained by stupidity, there's another th interesting theory which uh, has basically, you know, uh, as, I w as I had recorded the first part of the show, I found this second one, which is another interesting view on this whole take about why major social networks and why, you know, YouTube... Uh, and everything had been working slowly. And this comes from Meadows.io and with the interviews of the experts, which I have, like, duly translated, and I will, you know, use their article as the basis for this part. So, <clears throat> Meadows writes that, quote, On the morning of April 27, Roskomnadzor acknowledged that IP addresses belonging to several Russian and foreign social networks were added briefly to its registry of banned online resources, explaining that it was due to technical features of its system operations. Officials refused to say what this means exactly, and the agency has not apologized to the companies accidentally targeted. Roskomnadzor says these IP addresses were not forwarded to internet service providers for the purpose of restricting access, though the agency's own website previously confirmed that the IP addresses in question had been blacklisted. And, uh, yeah, now now there are several experts who comment on this issue. One of them being one Vladislav Zdolnikov. This guy, this guy is essentially an IT consultant for Navalny, for Navalny's anti-corruption foundation. He claims that this, uh, this whole, you know, apologies, you know, we did it on accident, is completely untrue. And I quote him here. <clears throat> Quote, Roskomnadzor sent the outload list, and that is precisely how everyone found out about the blockings. Providers were required by law to start blocking. This kind of lying is Roskomnadzor's style, and they often rely on it when, they, when they've screwed up big time. Zdolnikov thinks Roskomnadzor may have blocked the IP addresses by accident. By accident. He doesn't do the, you know, the regular uh, opposition route of actually, you know, looking through conspiracies, which are also very likely. He thinks it was all done by accident, possibly by allowing someone to access its equipment who shouldn't have been working on, you know, blocking these things, you know, some some opposition pranks that are trolling Roskomnazor making them look bad. And uh, this is a quote here following from the article. <clears throat> There's a computer at Roskomnadzor that's connected to a device running the Telegram app, and this computer intercepts all communications from the app to any IP address and automatically or semi-automatically blocks those addresses. I suspect that some other internet-enabled device was connected to this computer. It's possible that this was someone who works at Roskomnadzor, who used the internet at some point, and the computer blocked whatever IP addresses the device accessed. I'm certain it happened like this. I think the staff there are about as competent as that. Uh, Zdolnikov also joked that the incident could be a work of a saboteur inside Roskomnadzor. See, there's this saying in, in, in Russia, you know, Rukia uh, Djoperostov, or, you know, your hands are growing out of your ass. This is used to, th this is mostly used to describe utter inco incompetency or, you know, also often applied to <laughs> to men who can't change tires of their cars or, or, or do some minor fixes around the house or something, you know, really clumsy, incompetent people. Lately, uh, lately, you know, uh, lately a lot of these opposition opposition people in Russia have been arguing about arguing with each other about whether or not these actions are um, are malice, like malicious intent, and attempt to block the Russian internet. And yeah, then there's this view that, you know, they're just so, so incompetent and they, they're just, you know, a bit dumb that they, they screwed this up somehow and they just had to, you know, say that it was intentional, you know, as to not look bad. 
another one of these experts, Mikhail Kilmarev, who is an IT expert and uh, the executive director of Internet Protection Society, also thinks that there actually might be a saboteur there. He wrote on his Telegram channel that, uh, quote, <clears throat> it seems one of Roskomnadzor's competent employees has slipped his leash and decided to screw over the bosses. Or maybe there's another reason. It's hard to figure out the motives of people who are sick in the head. Uh, and this Klimariev is even kind of uh, poking at the pe- person who supposedly started the whole blocking affair. Quote, <clears throat> Alexander Alexandrovich Vekic, the head of the IT department at the main radio frequency center, um, who is, you know, uh, the, the, the radio uh, radio uh, subsection of Roskomnadzor. And yeah, Hilmerev uh, told Medusa that he learned this name from a contact inside Roskomnadzor itself, whom he obviously, you know, kept anonymous. And a further quote from uh, Hilmerev uh, from his interview to Medusa. <clears throat> Don't go thinking that Roskomnadzor is just uh, Director Alexander Zharov. In fact, there's a whole staff of qualified specialists with enormous experience who work on serious issues, like monitoring radio frequencies and distributing licenses. They see what's happening, and of course they're unhappy. Their reputation is in the toilet, and nobody else will work with them because of the stain of having worked at Roskomnadzor. They're trying to resist somehow from the inside. Kilmarev also says he knows for sure that blocking Telegram was entrusted to Zharov's deputy Oleg Ivanov. He was given three days to do it. Now two weeks have passed and it's still not blocked. They've started looking for people to blame and they're rolling in each other. Basically, it's all bad news at Roskomnadzor. But yeah, another important reaction here is from Russian IT companies, who have, you know, obviously condemned Roskomnadzor's actions and, you know, this is actually, you know, what the interview they gave to Medusa and, uh, and Len Taru and other sites. This is kind of their first official reaction to Roskomnadzor's efforts against their kind of competition or colleagues, you know, whatever you, whatever you call them. See, Yandex Public Relations Director, Ochir Manjikov, uh, he personally called the attempt to block Telegram, quote, <clears throat> a block to the entire runet. And he made a statement, uh, again, April 27th, as we're talking about. And he said, the, quote, We do not consider the situation to be acceptable. The Russian market can develop only in conditions of open competition. Restricting access to global and Russian internet services will harm the Runet most of all. A lack of openness and competition deprives the country of the chance to compete technologically and in world markets in the future. And yeah, there was also Vkontakte. Vkontakte is um, a Russian, uh, Russian kind of Facebook analog with groups and everything. The problem is Vkontakte actually cooperates with FSB a lot, and, you know, recently one of the major court cases was uh, there about about a girl who had, like, a, her private photo album, like, you know, like you have on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Uh, I don't think you have it. On Twitter, I think photos are, are private, but, uh, I mean, public, but on Facebook you can make, you know, only private photo albums, which only you can see to store stuff, you know, store photos. And apparently she had done the, the similar thing in, um, in Vkontakte. And, you know, she had just a collection of memes and pranks and various other, other uh, you know, funny, funny things found on the internet. And the FSB had found this very private collection. And some of them were, like, very offensive memes. You know, they, they might be funny, but, you know, jokes about, jokes about Georgians and people from Caucasus and jokes about black people and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they like... Like the usual, very bleak, dark, dark jokes, but they were in a private folder there. 
and there wasn't like nothing really that that criminal about them. But uh, she was arrested and and sued for public uh, public spreading of of hatred and like illegal materials. But it was it was on a private photo album which no one else but but uh, the person could see. So you know, Vkontakte is um, is uh, you know known to cooperate with these things. But even they. Uh, even they uh, criticize this whole thing. For example, their managing director Andrei Rogozov uh, quoted uh, was quoted to, to say that quote <clears throat> We see that access to many resources is being limited due to a lack of understanding of the principles of the modern internet. Services with millions of users have been completely or partially unavailable. And yeah, he also this guy this guy who is known to work with FSB. Uh, he promised that Vkontakte will soon introduce end-to-end -end encryption on all voice and video calls. The same that Telegram is doing, you know, usually right now. This might be actually a call for rebellion, because this um, managing director and people at there might not be cooperating out of their own uh, free will, so to speak. They might be interested in, you know, actually providing a good service, but have been forced to do different things. And now, due to Roskomnadzor's incompetencies, they might have some... Um, so uh, they might have some hand, uh, they might have some free hands and you know a choice in the matter. And yeah, there's another one. There's the social network Adnaklasniki, or you know, classmates, which is basically meant to you know gather all your classmates together and have a nice talk about them, about how you finished school. And Anton Fidchin, the head of that social network, told Medusa, "Quote: The current situation has already gone beyond online society and is now affecting business as a whole." Any company that uses the web to communicate with customers is now internet-dependent. We are against any restrictions on the internet, and we call on all parties to move towards dialogue. And yeah, in response to this criticism, Roskomnadzor invited Yandex and Kontakte, the two biggest, uh, biggest internet companies in Russia, to join in, quote, finding solutions that minimize the risks of the Telegram block. And yeah, I was really expecting that Medusa will have an article about the situation, but in their own defense, they responded that, quote, Medusa was unable to reach Roskomnadzor to discuss this initiative because the agency wouldn't take their calls. As is usual if you're posting anything even remotely objective. <laughs> this thing uh, further uh, got even more complex, and now, now this whole mistake issue and this kind of criticism of this, this whole thing it goes back to our old nice conspiracy theory about all this being planned out. And while I was recording the first part, I didn't really have much evidence, but now I have some experts confirming my views, so to speak. Because uh, after, after, this, after this debacle with uh, IP addresses of Roskomnadzor, mail.ru group, yeah, they launched three proxy servers allowing internet users to circumvent Russian censorship. But there are guys who now say that these proxies could be a trap. Because uh, in-depth is that this Mail.ru group, they own both of Kontakte and Anaklasniki, and they announced publicly uh, on the internet on April 27th that, quote, <clears throat> that they are sharing three servers for stable access to any internet services. Basically, those guys are... Uh, like making three proxy servers that allow users to bypass barriers, uh, you know, the, those blocks by Roskomnadzor. However, 
both of these IT experts, uh, which, uh, which which posted their opinions about Roskomnadzor, they warn against using these proxies, both Zdolnikov and Klimarev. Klimarev says that two of the three IP addresses shared by the Mail.ru group were, call, were, were caught hunting for VPNs and proxy servers on April 24th. Basically, these servers were used to keep track uh, of the ways how to bypass the blocking of Telegram. Klimarev says that, quote, Mail.ru group operates a special web crawler bot that scans the internet for all possible IP addresses in search for proxy servers that connect directly to Telegram's known servers. If the bot finds a suspicious proxy, it mimics a Telegram server to avoid giving itself away and tries to verify whatever that particular proxy connects to Telegram servers. If the test comes up positive, the bot creates instructions for an abuse claim, which Mail.ru allegedly files with the server hosts, which, blo- which then block that server, not even realizing that it was being used by Telegram. Klimarev also uh, also nicely states that Internet Protection Society discovered the Mail.ru web crawlers on April 24th when several of its proxy servers were blocked by their hosts because of these abuse claims. He says the proxies were blocked almost immediately after they were visited by, mail, by Mail.ru servers, leading the organization to conclude that they had been flagged by the company's web crawlers. Uh, it's a lot of technobabble. It's a lot of technobabble here, obviously, but basically this means that uh, they are kind of uh, stating openly that they're uh, <clears throat> against censorship and, and, you know, working for free internet while basically laying traps for people who use these proxies to circumvent censorship and um, and having <laughs> having all this situation as basically a, a trap for people just to clutch down on internet even further. However, uh, another interesting comment on this situation about this was, after all this situation happened, was that um, this uh, person from Mail.ru, who was a private person, he told the news agency Ria Novosti that, uh, in response to this, quote, Like Sigmund Freud said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, and a proxy is just a proxy. That's the official response. Now, the interesting part here comes from the fact that we do not know. There is no way of telling, and I'm I'm am just talking about this techno babble and all this kind of seeming deception, because I want people in Russia to listen to this show. I want them to comment, write write me mails, and and, and uh, interact with me. I would love them to be able to hear all this situation. And yeah, we're we're on iTunes. I'm pretty sure they won't block iTunes, but there are a lot of people who listen through my web page directly, which has been in trouble as as usual as always. But yeah, we will just have to wait and find out how this goes through. Because, again, interesting times and murky waters. And to, you know, uh, conclude all this episode up and prepare, because, you know, I'm also recording a PDRP about Argentina tonight later on. But to conclude this, I want to give you a full list of what exactly now isn't working in Russia. Just, you know, to give you the full scope. Because, again... Uh, pre- oh, at the beginning, it was thought that they were blocking only Telegram. Then it turned out to be like major uh, internet providers and stuff like that. But now, now the nice, uh, nice Russian opposition journalists have made a full list of uh, important services that are not working, and uh, it involves like buying movie tickets. Because since April twenty-first, Moscow's Slovay movie theater has warned customers that uh, this whole thing against Telegram has, you know, quote, disrupted its online ticket sales. 
news websites and commenting systems. Basically, a Russian language version of Coda Story is already inaccessible for most Russians. Astrakhan24 and two dozen Udmurt news websites have also gone dark. Basically, uh, everything, the commenting service hypercomments have also been experiencing problems, everything. Uh, several users also have complained that the ABBYY Lingvo dictionary site is down. Online sales of auto insurance policies, that too is down. Because a reCAPTCHA anti-spam service had apparently started failing for many Russian internet users. This basically affected everyone, including the, quote, Russian Association of Motor Insurers, which says the loss of reCAPTCHA has hurt its sales of auto insurance policies. Smart TVs. Because following Roskomnadzor's crackdown, quote, several different smart TV models have been unable to connect to the internet. On YouTube, a video has circulated showing personnel at an electronics store explaining that the problem has particularly affected smart televisions manufactured by Samsung, Sony, and LG. We're here at work and we're just astounded by the number of people who are calling in, the store clerks say in the video. Fitness trackers and blood pressure monitors. Again, this same Kilmerev, because most of this comes from his Telegram channel, uh, the executive director of this internet protection thing says that <clears throat> Roskomnadzor has blocked servers used by various wearable gadgets, including fitness trackers, blood pressure monitors, and Mayak GPS watches for tracking the location of children. Uh, VSCO Mopa mobile app for photo editing, that's down. Maps on Delhi Mobile, which is a car, ser a car sharing service, also says its app has stopped displaying maps. Uh, Magnitogorsk City Assembly's live stream went down on April 24th. The Presidential Grants Foundation basically gone down. It was just crazy. Uh, other instant messengers, such as Viber and Skype, have been uh, have been issue have been been problems because uh, apparently making voice calls and sending photos over Viber has been like erratic at best, and Skype users have experienced problems logging in. Wi-Fi on mobile phones has stopped working, because uh, especially for Androids. Online games like Player Unknown Battlegrounds, Fortnite, World of Warships, those things are have issues connecting. Uh, PlayStation Network and Nintendo eShop has gone down. Airline tickets are, like, hard to buy because the flight search and ticketing service Kupibilet has notified customers that some of its functions could be unavailable. Uh, the company wrote in an email around going, <clears throat> Roskomnadzor had the nerve to block tens of millions of Amazon and Google IP addresses. Telegram is still working, but our ticketing systems are having problems. Electronic payment systems do not work in Russia right now. Because within the very few, first few hours of Roskomnadzor's decision to block millions of IP addresses, electronic payments started malfunctioning in Russian stores and cafes, like, you know, you couldn't pay with your bank card. Adobe services, like Adobe Creative Cloud, for those of you who work in design, you know how, this, how important this is, because all the clients for that had to resort to VPN. Smart home systems for the rich people also have stopped uh, working. Google Home has stopped working. Bicycle rentals in, in St. Petersburg City have stopped working. Foo, various uh, food, out, uh, food out checkouts have stopped working, like e-commerce. Uh, friggin' 3D dental scanners. Uh, have stopped working. We have reports on that. Bitcoin mining pools and even fonts. Yeah, sports.ru site, which I'm kind of watching now because, you know, uh, I like football a lot and I'm following on what's like on the way to, on the road to, um, to the football championship. 
they have lost a bunch of fonts there. So when we're talking about massive bands that hurt people, this is a bit crazy. Because if you can no longer buy airplane tickets or anything, or, or like order food, or even go to a dentist because his 3D dental scanner, which also connects to the internet, they can't connect to the cloud server, nothing works. This just, at any rate, if, if the Russians are doing this on purpose, if the Russians are doing this on purpose, you know, just to cut off the internet, then they are worsening their already terrible economical situation. If if they're doing this because of stupidity, or incompetence, or rukozhopnost, so to speak, then they're also screwing their own country's economy. At any rate, we shall have to see how this works out, what they can do, what their reaction is, and how this gets fixed, because, um, yeah. This is going a bit crazy, and it definitely uh, has already affected, like, uh, rubles, course, euro, and dollar. But basically, just another, just another completely unnecessary hit to how their whole economy system works, and how will they manage to get out of this? I have no idea. But as internet is my domain, I felt it really necessary to speak about this here and about the various theories connecting to this. We'll get back to the Stalin series next month, uh, and you will get both the book and uh, the new PDRP which is going to be about South America. See you next time, and we will get back to the history stuff soon enough in the beginning of May. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The eastern border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.